to Crimes from the East. Today, we're doing part two of Cyanide Mohan. Once again, we have with us our resident chaos, chaos magician. magician, me. Alex, I, I hope you've um, unmanifested some chaos from your life this week. Oh, hell no. <laughs> More chaos all the time. I'm, I need to come up with a nice magician name. Abraka Alex. That's horrible. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> well, I, I feel a lot better. That's good. Not to rub salt in your wounds, but <laughs> I'm having a better week. The curse has I'm been glad. lifted. No, I'm not having a bad week or a bad life. I'm just having a weird one. <laughs> weird one. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It just keeps getting weirder. I got my first COVID shot on Friday. Nice. Congrats. How did you feel? I got the Moderna one and mm-hmm. I felt fine when I got it. And then over the next <laughs> couple of hours, my arm, God, it was it was terrible. It, I felt like pain. Jax from Mortal Kombat. Ooh, yeah, yeah. It's a little before your time. You know of Jax, the guy with the bionic arms? Yeah, yeah. So how long did that last? Yeah, that's what I felt like. I felt like I was losing and gaining power in my arm. It was very weird. It hurt like crap for a day. But it was fine the second day. So I'm back to normal now. Nice. Yeah, excited for my second shot in a few more weeks. And then I'll be invincible. We can go out and party. Not really. (laughs) I have a toddler, so I'm not partying. (laughs) But what are you talking about? Every day is a party. Is a party. Every day is a potty and also a party. (laughs) So I listened to... The last episode that we did, mm-hmm. and I realized that I totally blew over some very obvious questions. I have so many questions that I didn't ask in the last episode, which I mean, hopefully are going to be answered in this episode. But like really weird because you mentioned that our like most recent victim, or maybe it wasn't the most recent victim, the one who sort of blew the story up. She had actually been talking to the, right? this guy, Mohan, for a while. So I want to know why he had been crossing off names of people who didn't respond well. So mm-hmm. what happened to the people who did respond well? And yeah, like just what was going on between like him making contact with these women and they're dressed in like shadi outfits and wedding clothes and like It's really weird. Uh I was so shocked just by the story at the beginning that I didn't even register all these strange details. So I'm super excited and ready to get into it. Good thing we have part two. So you kind of get a do over on the questioning part. (laughs) And I can definitely answer all of those questions today. So we'll just do a quick recap of what we did in part one for our listeners. So in 2009, communal pressure behind the disappearance of 22-year-old Anita led to the discovery of serial murders of 20 women all around Mengaluru and neighboring cities in Karnataka. The chain link of cell phone records led the police from one victim to the next and eventually landed on a man named Mohan Kumar. And this is where we pick up today's episode. So, I was going to ask if you have any thoughts or questions on the events of last week's episode, but you've already asked a lot of good (laughs) questions. So let's get right into it. Yes. Okay. On interrogation, Mohan revealed his sick and twisted MO. He would hang around intercity bus stands or bus stations and other crowded waiting areas like government offices, temples, etc., keenly observing and taking note of single women in the crowd who kept their head down and gaze low when they walked. Ooh. I'm I'm paraphrasing all of his confession. So this is what he was looking out for. He was looking for the quote unquote good girls. Yeah. Yeah. Again, this is a question you might have wanted to ask Alex. So I'm going to ask it for you. If you are wondering how in the world would he know if a woman is single or not just by looking mm-hmm. at her? Let me clear that up for you. In Hindu culture, there are clear visual markers 
for married women so that people will know not to approach them or know how best to approach okay. them with the proper respect right. and whatever. In the modern day, these could be seen as symbols of oppression. But for thousands of years, these facets have adorned many women and very happily so as well. So as it is with most things, if a woman has a choice in deciding to wear these or not, that is what makes this a symbol of either pride or mm -hmm. prejudice, right? It's choice. Yeah. The first marker is sindoor, which is red vermilion. Mm -hmm. It's a powder placed in the parting of the hair. The second marker is the Mangal Sutra, which is a ceremonial necklace put around the woman's neck by the husband during the marriage okay. ceremony. The third common marker is called bichia or toe rings. Okay, so they wear rings on the toes, okay. which are also only meant to be worn by married women. I know like it's a, another new agey style piece of jewelry that. Yeah, new agey hippie style <laughs> thing that people like to wear now. Oh, the things that white people got wrong, right? <laughs> <laughs> it's just jewelry. I, I find nothing wrong with it. Wear whatever, whatever you like. Yeah. Just don't be offended if someone says, oh, where's your husband? <laughs> <laughs> by looking at it. So, yeah. So the, these are generally worn by most traditional women or most women who like to wear all the adornments of a married woman, especially in rural areas. But even more liberal women do choose to wear these on special occasions and on religious festivals, mm -hmm. like I do. Like I wear these things on Diwali for sure. And even like in Indian weddings and stuff, I do. I do dress up. So yeah, they look beautiful to me. So I, li I like it. I wish I could wear them. If you can choose to wear them, all the power to you. <laughs> so Mohan used these indicators to single out targets. So if he saw a woman who, who's not wearing any of these, she doesn't have sindoor, mm -hmm. she's not wearing Mangal Sutra, she's not wearing Bichia, um, she's alone, there's no male around her, and she looks quiet. That kind of drew a target around her mm. for Mohan. Okay. He would start casually talking to this woman, usually opening with, do I know you? I have seen you somewhere. Are you blah, blah, blah? And then she'd reply with, no, that's not me. And then he would ask their name and keep the conversation going to kind of see how she responds. He would then make up an alias and a last name matching the cast of the victim and claim to be from their community. Okay. As the rest of the world knows, there is a very well-established caste system in India. It's pretty, it's terrible. It's discriminatory and is cause for much grievance and violence in the country even mm -hmm. today, especially for marriage in the communities where our victims belong to. The caste would be the number one factor that would come into play. And what he would do is wait for the victim to provide that information and then just match it with fake name and caste okay. of his own. I feel like you kind of have to think quick. Like, really be on your toes, prepared to come up with something super fast. Yeah. He certainly seems to have had practice, but it's also kind of a weird skill. He had so many victims, and these are only the ones that he, quote-unquote, confessed yeah. to and we know of. We don't know how many he, he went through right. before that. The other thing he would always tell these women is that he had a stable government job with a pension, which is like he's he's making himself out to look like the golden goose, basically. Cha-ching. Yeah. Yeah. And he said he was single, just looking for the right woman to marry. But isn't this kind of a weird approach? I mean, he's not saying this all in the first meeting. No, but even just like walking up to a woman, like unannounced, no connection on the street. I feel like in India, that's a bit unheard of yes you are right it is creepy it's not common like yeah you're not gonna see men just walking up and talking to women like that and them not being suspicious of him but if you saw pictures of yeah. him right he looks mm -hmm. harmless he's short he's kind of well not skinny but you know he's not well built or muscular or anything yeah he looks soft he doesn't look like an intimidating, towering, dangerous man, as one would, as one would imagine. 
also, like I said, he chose victims that he knew would be mm. vulnerable to his scheme, to his strategy. So he was good at what he was doing. That's the bottom yeah. line here. So maybe he he approached 10 women and seven said, get the yeah. fuck out of here. <laughs> get lost. Don't talk to me. Move away, sir. <laughs> and the unfortunate ones who did respond mm-hmm. to him, they kind of ended up on his list. Yeah, they were probably the most vulnerable either in terms of, I don't know, self-esteem or confidence or just in life, like, mm-hmm. you know, either way. Yeah, I mean, we all we all need some kind of an emotional attachment and human connection. If you look at the victim profiles, they did seem to be at some disadvantage or the okay. other. So that's what worked in his favor. So he would then play on the vulnerability of these women and exploit their disadvantaged circumstances by proposing marriage, like over a course of time, mm-hmm. of course. The only clause he had that he would not accept a huge dowry. He wanted almost no dowry. If he did want one, it was tiny, like just a little bit of money. Yeah. What a martyr. He's like, I, oh, no, no, no. I don't want your money. Well, maybe a little bit, but not a lot. Okay. <laughs> That was his place. In these parts of India, that no dowry clause, it's not only unusual, but almost certainly an offer that most women in those circumstances could not deny without a good cause. Right. Yeah. It's like extra romantic, I guess. Yeah. He was laying a trap that few could resist, escape from. Mm Mm-hmm. Like, in a patriarchal society, like the one that they were Mm -hmm. living in, an older unmarried woman has little claim in society, okay? And when I say older, (laughs) yeah, when I say older, it's literally women in their late 20s and 30s, by the way. (laughs) That means we're older. We're older. Mm -hmm. No goats for you, Alex. No goats for me. Also, how are you going to say no to the Lorax, right? <laughs> we definitely, in the next uh, like release, have to do a side-by-side of this guy, the Lorax, because every time I see him, I'm just like, sir, you do not speak for the trees. You, you go home. Think about your life. The typical age for marriage here, and when I say here, I mean in India, would be between the ages of 18 and 24. Okay. If for whatever reason you're kind of past that age, that now your spinster. value <sighs> yeah, is dropping, sucks. dropping by the day. It's just pathetic. I mean, now we feel like we have a choice. We can get married whenever we want. And, you know, I want to study. I want to have a job, blah, blah, blah. But these women don't have choices yeah. like that. For them, the whole aim or objective of their lives has been planned in advance Mm -hmm. for them they're conditioned to only think of marriage as the ultimate goal okay all of this plays a huge part in why why they fell for these traps that mohan set for them moving on with his mo mohan would ask the victim to keep their relationship secret and not tell much to their families over a period of two to three months he fawned over them and he ultimately convinced them to elope with him. Once the marriage date was set, he would ask the victim to secretly bring their finest jewelry, money, and bridal outfit to wear to the ceremony. (sighs) He would then take the victim to a faraway city via a bus. The bus stations he picked were usually either Hassan, Madikeri, Mysuru, or the majestic terminal in Bengaluru. So many red flags. It's just like red flag after red flag. I mean, you're saying red flag, but this happens a lot in India. This is just like elopement culture. To us, in hindsight, it looks like this is just too weird. Why did they agree to this? But in their situation, it was probably the next logical step. The way he must Mm -hmm. have explained it to them. Even though he pretended to be of their caste or, you know... He may have even pretended to be of a higher caste. Hierarchy. 
yeah, there is a very strict hierarchy. So he may have pretended to be from a higher caste and said, hey, you know, like our communities mm-hmm. will never agree to this. Once we get married, okay. we'll convince everyone. This kind of manipulative strategy may have worked. How old was he again? Um, He was born in 1963. So the difference between his victims and himself, was it a lot? Well, at least 15 years or so. Okay. Once they reached the city, he would book them into an inexpensive travel lodge, uh, usually located right next to the bus station, under fake names. So Mr. and Mrs. John Doe. Now, mind you, in India, it is nearly impossible to check in as an unmarried couple into Mm -hmm. hotels. Four or five star hotels obviously will not care. They won't enforce this kind of nonsense, but you might face resistance and scrutiny in Mm -hmm. mid-tier hotels. This is not a legal requirement. It's not like you need to be legally married to check into a hotel or anything. It's just a dumbass morality play. It's just that morality is designed for the middle class. What's up with that? Mm-hmm. So something about morality. And by the way, most of these same hotel owners will be totally fine with taking a cut from any kind of sex work that occurs there. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I'm sure if you bribe them, you can get a room. Yeah, hypocrisy at its best. Mohan would then somehow convince the victim into having sex with him that night. They were going to be married the next day. And in many cases, they had gotten married at a small temple or something before checking in. So the pressure from that might have played a huge part in these women agreeing to do this. You know, if I had to speculate, though, uh, Mohan would have had to treat them well. For at least another day or his exit plan Mm -hmm. would be in jeopardy, Mm -hmm. right? So that hope is still alive that the women would be treated well by him. Yeah. At least at this point. We're not talking sexual assault necessarily, right? I mean, this disgusting man is a rapist, no doubt, because his coerced sexual relations with these women were all under false pretexts. It's all by deceit. Yeah. It's not real love. It's not a real marriage. It's all fake. And this, FYI, is considered rape in the Indian legal system. All right. So after they checked in and, you know, the night goes as Mohan planned, the next day he would ask the victims to leave the jewelry in the lodge for safety. And the jewelry is only for her to wear when she meets Mohan's parents the next day save it for mummy so he's like don't wear any of your finery leave it in the hotel and then he would lead the victim to a bus station pretending to go to the temple to get married or to a registration office in another city okay so while waiting for the bus he would give them cyanide laced capsules calling them morning after contraceptive pills (gasps) yep So this is why he gave them the pills and this is why they took them. Mohan would instruct them to go into the bathroom, lock the door and take the pill because it would make them throw up. The poor women innocently believed him and did exactly as he told them Mm -hmm. to do. And usually if the victim fell violently Mm -hmm. ill and attracted the attention of others, people would break open the door to discover the victims frothing from the mouth and convulsing, dying in minutes in front of their eyes from a most cruel poison. Oh he His whole plan, it just, the pieces fit together so mm-hmm. well. Nothing is done out of script. Yeah. There's a reason why he said everything. and did everything. It was really thing. formulaic. I mm-hmm. mean... That's what I feel like what got him caught in the end is he didn't he did the same thing every time. It like all looks so similar. So I guess it's it's not good, but it made it easier for him to get caught, thankfully. Mohan would make sure to see the victim being discovered. He wanted to make sure she's almost dead or dying. Mm-hmm. And then he would quickly slip away, going back to the travel lodge, packing up all the jewelry, money, and checking out. He would then vanish into the crowds. And disappear. 
the gold and jewelry that Mohan stole from these victims, he would pawn them for money. It was his primary source of income. Ah, so this wasn't even about the sex. That was just like a little added like bonus for him, it sounds like. Like, it sounds like it's a big messed up money scheme. But then with this added like element of tricking these poor women to sleeping with him. It was certainly part of his MO and something he did for his own sick gratification, greed and his own sick urges. He baked it into his MO. He could have easily just put the cyanide in a drink and given it to them. Yeah, he didn't need to. He did not need to have sex with them. That is something he made up for his own pleasure. So. Mm -hmm. I mean, I kind of, for me, goes along with his murder weapon of choice, poison, because all of it is underhanded and it's sneaky and it's like there was no reason for him to... not get away with any one of these things separately, but he chose to do them all. Like, he chose to have sex with these women under false pretenses, like, essentially what counts as a sexual assault or rape in India, and then he chose to rob them, and then he chose to kill them in the end, and, like, Mm -hmm. he could have, with his original scheme of tricking them, he could have accomplished any any one of those three things without doing the other two. So... It's all, it's just a fantasy. The whole thing is the fantasy, each element. Right. It seems like he's living his best life when he's doing all of these cruel and twisted deeds. That's who he really was. It's like someone who has a real axe to grind with like women, probably. He's one of these guys who just like wants to do everything to dehumanize. Control. Uh shame steal yeah everything at any given time he was talking to at least two women so there was no break in his schedule he was always scheming he was always hunting this was who he was he made himself into this person into this serial killer it was his whole Mm -hmm. life he did have a quote-unquote normal life a normal side and we'll talk about that in a minute but yeah, don't don't be fooled thinking, you know, he's just doing this at once every eight months or whatever, that there's a cooling off period and then he gets the urge and he starts off again. No, he was doing this 24-7. He was always scheming and hunting for the next victim. Oof. The minute that this serial killer was caught and his deeds were made public, the media gave him the moniker of Cyanide Mohan and he was pretty much never called by his full name, Mohan Kumar Vivekananda again. Yeah. And I'm I'm yeah. I'm happy with that. Hopefully he didn't love it. <sighs> Yikes, he actually yeah. might. I mean, you said that he was essentially bragging in his confession mm-hmm. and it seems like he was quite proud of himself, so a moniker might actually have made him happy. <laughs> so let's talk about who Cyanide Mohan really was. Born in 1963, so as of today, he would be age 58 or so. He was an ordinary, mild manner elementary school teacher who taught kids math, social studies, English, and physical education. Now, Mohan was always the quiet one in the family, starting from a young age. He had a fairly normal childhood, with the only disturbing incident being the abandonment of his family by his father. It probably had a little part in making who he was, but there's so many there's so many stories like that, and kids don't mm-hmm. turn out like this. So I wouldn't blame I wouldn't blame that on on his outcome whatsoever. Mm-hmm. Yeah, he came from a poor family, but him and his siblings went against the grain of illiteracy in their village, and they were educated all the way up to grade twelve and even held diplomas. He settled in the village of Kanyana, where he married and divorced his first wife sometime in the 90s. He then married his second wife soon after that and had two children in quick succession. Mm -hmm. He was quite emotionally detached from his family, though, and he barely talked much with anyone at home. He never took his wife and kids out for any events. He never took them shopping or for picnics or anything like that. He just went to work. He came home. He ate his dinner, 
and he slept off. Okay. His wife was the one who took complete care of the house and the kids from day one. But somehow, this detached behavior was perceived as normal. And the family was grateful that Kumar seemed to be working so hard for them. It probably just came off as like, daddy had a long day at work, so he doesn't want to interact with us. But at least he's bringing home the the doll. Yeah. He had told them that he'd been transferred to another city, so he won't be able to stay with them anymore. And he used to only come see them once every week or so. In reality, though, the truth was that Kumar had actually fallen in love with a third woman and married her secretly. He now had another family along with two more Whoa. kids that he had to take care of and that too discreetly. Remind you of someone else? <laughs> our, our good friend... Uh, Biren. Biren. Exactly. Our good friend Biren. What's with these guys? Jesus. Oh man. It's puzzling. And they're all just like lazy. There's something wrong with... Maybe it's in the water. I don't know. It's just the type of person that they are. He was a bad egg, rotten to the core. According to a couple of articles, it seems that Mohan's wives came to know of each other's existence after a few years. And seeing no other way out, they just decided to share Mohan between the (gasps) two families. Yeah. Big mistake. He was apparently very, very much in love with his third wife because okay. it was a love marriage. Yeah. He he didn't know what to pick and they were like, fine, we'll just share you. That's that's fine by us because that's what you kind of have to do in this patriarchy. <laughs> They're like, this is as bad as it can get. Little did they know so many years later. <laughs> it got a lot worse. Mm-hmm. Paying for two households on a meager school teacher salary was not cutting it for Mohan. He's also a school teacher. Was Birin a school teacher? No. No. That was... No, no, no. Birin had the medical shop. Yeah. That was um, our Valentine Day's killer. Tarun, Tarun. Tarun. Yeah. Yeah. Tarun was a physical education teacher. Yeah. So many common threads were seen. Mm-hmm. Weird. Yeah. This is when he hatched a plan to use the one skill he had, luring women with his charms, to rob them. Yeah, clearly he was good at it. In 2003, he stole the jewelry from a woman and pushed her into the Netravati River, hoping that she'll drown. However, she survived and took him to court, where he was imprisoned for a little while, but was ultimately acquitted of charges when the case went to a higher court. Oh my God, that was their chance. I could have got him. So many people could have lived. I I guess the testimony of the victim was not enough for them. Testimony of a woman. (laughs) Terrible. Now, while this scumbag was in jail, he met a goldsmith who was in jail as well for improper disposal of cyanide which he used in the polishing of precious metals. And he ultimately caused the death of cattle. Oh, As we know, in India, the cow is sacred, sometimes to absurd levels. Yikes. Oh, yeah. You get nice piercings. They get the the wife treatment. Mm Mm-hmm. Cows are taken better care of than humans in a lot of places (laughs) in India. And while I love animals... You got to get your priorities right, okay? Yeah, we got to find a a happy balance. Mm -hmm. Wait, so this guy was killing cows by accident because he was polishing their jewelry? No, no, no. He's a goldsmith and he used cyanide to polish the gold. Because it's cyanide, there is a very stringent way of disposing cyanide, which he wasn't following. Okay, okay, okay. So he's like throwing it in the... I don't know, field or something, and the cows were eating it. Trash. Oh, yeah, in the trash, because, yeah. Okay, okay, I got it. So he learned from this goldsmith that cyanide is a highly Mm -hmm. controlled substance, and only goldsmiths with the proper license are legally allowed to purchase it from chemists' shops. Is there not a non-deadly like poison you can use to clean gold? There's got to be. 
how is this like it's kind of crazy yeah you'd think in this day and age they figured something out something yeah. non-toxic i mean even crayons are non-toxic for god's sake <laughs> The most extreme <laughs> gold polish. It's just cyanide. It's just cyanide. And the amount of gold that's polished in oh, India. There's <laughs> got to be cyanide everywhere. You guys, don't go licking the gold. You're going to get fucked up. <laughs> oh, my God. Shit. You know, like when you wear a necklace with a pendant and you're thinking you're lost in thought, you put it in your mouth and you're like chewing on it. In your mouth? Oh, my God. How many people have died from this? <laughs> Don't do it. Don't do it, people. Your jewelry is out to kill you. <sighs> Hide your children. Hide your wives. There's cyanide in the gold. Mm-hmm. After having to be in jail for this attempt to murder, Mohan vowed to never leave his victims alive again. It was too risky. He could just, like, not kill them. That'd be a good vow as well. He's operating in an area where a lot of people know each other. They're close communities and people, they know who's who. Yeah. And if he left them alive, one victim, two victims, three victims, fine. But at the rate that he was progressing, yeah, there would be dozens of victims in his wake. So he knew that he, he can't be leaving so many people out there complaining about him, talking about him. A trail. He visited many chemist shops claiming to be a goldsmith and looking to purchase cyanide. Out of dozens of stores, only one agreed to sell it to him without proper documents. This was the store of Abdul Salem, who was eventually charged and convicted of illegally selling the poison to Mohan. Ooh. Thank God. Yeah. They caught nice. him, he testified, and he was convicted. Got him. Okay, that's good. Once Mohan's wives found out that he was in jail, they came to visit him often. And this serial killer, who didn't think twice before he raped and killed women, forbid his wives from coming in to see him because, according to him, other men were eyeing them mm. in jail. I could see that projection much i mean like, he's doing everything in his power to like possess these his victims in a sense you know he has to have yeah. sex with them he has to take their valuables and then he has to like take their lives so i guess it weirdly adds up he wants to be the one behind the wheel like telling them what to do and yeah multiple cases were charged against mohan and he went to trial for many years almost nearly a decade, in fact. And like most narcissistic egomaniacs do, mm-hmm. Mohan represented himself in court. <laughs> oh, good. He was his own <gasps> damn Lorax lawyer. I am the Lorax, and I speak for myself when I say... Did he try to deny the murders? Like, what did... Yes. What's even... Oh, he did? Yes. So usually what happens is when someone confesses to everything, you there's a written statement, you sign off on it. That's how they charge you with all these cases along with other evidences that the police have collected. Yeah. And then they take you to trial and every single one of these defendants then recant their confessions. Mm. They always say it was done under duress mm-hmm. and they were coerced and blah, 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 whatever. Okay. So they always plead not guilty there's i don't know maybe like five men in the history of time who may have agreed and said yes i did it yeah (laughs) it's so easy right like to be a lawyer anyone can do Uh it (laughs) according to mohan at least he stated that court appointed lawyers are not the caliber that he requires for his cases and he didn't have the funds to hire a private defense attorney, so he was the next best thing. Oh, my God. He is the freaking Lorax. Is it? He's on his little stump. Oh, and why am I being so mean to the Lorax? He's, like, just trying to save the forest. He's no. Bizarro Lorax. We should name him something else. How about we name him Clorax? Oh, the Sinorax. Sinorax. This sounds like a Mortal Kombat character. Yeah. No, literally, <laughs> the only reason why this is sticking for me is the mustache, because he's got a nice fluffy one, too. But yeah. mm-hmm. any short. 
and kind of just like you know fluffy looking yeah totally um okay well that's good he's dumb he's dumb he's pretty stupid like okay alex we became detectives in the last episode remember with our pipes and deer hunters oh yeah (laughs) yeah well let's become self-proclaimed lawyers in this one (laughs) i'll cast a spell (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> next episode we're gonna be we're gonna pass a bar exam somehow we won't even have taken it we'll just get like letters in the mail that we passed i'll buy a chocolate bar i'll examine it i'll eat it and that's it you pass the bar exam <laughs> the willy wonka bar exam <laughs> oh man dairy milk bar exam I've, I've passed it last night i just passed that last night <laughs> okay objection your Honor, <laughs> Mohan sucks. I rest my case. Objection, Your Honor. Remember how he confessed all these murders like 10 minutes ago? Well, nothing has changed. Your Honor, he be lying. <laughs> Sustain. Or whatever they say, I don't know. Case closed. Yeah. Go to jail. Yeah, Mohan performed pretty decently in a few parts of the trial, like questioning the cause of death in all the recovered bodies. The viscera of only two of the women had been preserved and tested positive for cyanide. So the rest were simply marked as poisoning and left at that. So he wanted to ask them how they could prove that he killed these women. Oh, well, we found you with a bunch of cyanide in your pocket, but that could be a coincidence. But that's only for two cases. The 18 other cases, there's no link to cyanide. And according to him, those women all committed suicide when he refused to marry them on that day. Oh, my God. He's actually like Ted Bundy. Mm. He is India's Ted Bundy. We found him. Minus the violence, I, I I guess. Minus the, like, extreme brutal violence. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Wow. That's, um... That's a pretty arrogant defense. They couldn't handle the rejection. Mm-hmm. Narcissism on display. Mm-hmm. Full display. Police found a witness, a survivor, who had clawed her way back from death. Oh, really? Oh, shit. Kumar has, had posed as a plantation supervisor and lured her to a lodge in Madikeri. Thankfully, she had only licked the cyanide capsule and not swallowed it whole. Okay. She collapsed immediately in the bathroom. There was a commotion. She was taken to the hospital. Kumar had had made a quick exit, assuming that she'd been found dead mm-hmm. like all of the other victims. Mm-hmm. But no, this survivor recovered after five days of treatment in the hospital and she returned home with the help of some money that the nurses gave her. Because remember, he robbed everything right. that she had. So that was just from licking the pill? Okay. Yeah. What happened to the pill, though? Imagine she, like, threw it on the floor. Now, this woman, she didn't tell anyone about Kumar or the ordeal. Mm -hmm. And she got married quickly within a few months of this incident. How do you even trust anyone again after this? I'd be so scared to, like, please don't try to poison me. (laughs) Be so scared to... The difference would be this was something she chose for herself. And now she went for an arranged marriage. Arranged. Yeah. Unfortunately, this would have completely proved everything that the naysayers say about. Love marriage. Love marriages. Yeah. The prosecution had to convince her and assure her of anonymity Mm -hmm. so that her husband and family would never find find out. out about this horror in her past. Oh, my God. This survivor was very brave. And she agreed to be a star witness on the condition that she would not reveal her face and only appear in court remotely via a camera behind a curtain. So she, yeah, she testified through voice only. Nice. Now the prosecutors had someone who could identify the sick killer firsthand. The other star witness that the prosecution did bring into court was a priest called Ishwar Bhatt, Mohan Kumar had sought out his services at Annapurneshwari Temple near Mangaluru. Once Anita's case hit the news, Kumar had come to that temple and asked Bhatt to perform a cleansing Shanti Puja ritual for him that would absolve him from the sin of murdering a woman. 
I guess he had a conscience after all. Well, a superstition. Fear. Fear of retribution. At first, the priest took him lightly, like maybe he's just some weirdo and some deranged idiot. Mm -hmm. But when Kumar persisted, he performed some junk ritual just to get rid of him. He's okay, like, fine, okay. I'll do I'll do this, Pooja. You, whatever, bring in this stuff and blah, 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 glum, blah, blah, it's done. Yes, you're absolved. Get out of here. Thanks for the money. Mm -hmm. So after a lengthy series of court cases, ultimately, Mohan Kumar, cyanide Mohan, mm -hmm. was convicted in all 20 cases of murder, rape, robbery, abduction, and various other fraud-related charges. And he was awarded with five death penalties and 15 life sentences. Wow. Okay. Two of those death penalties were also turned into life sentences. Because remember, right. the death penalties are rarest of rare cases. Mm -hmm. And maybe they fell for him. I don't know. But they're like, it's fine. You can live. You only killed 32 women. Yeah. No big deal. No big deal. <laughs> if it was men, we'd have to talk. We'd have to have a serious conversation. Oh, we should do a man murderer. We haven't done any. It's all been like women, I think. Now let's give the ladies a break. Mohan may have been a crafty manipulator, but he was no better than an average petty criminal mm -hmm. who made several rookie mistakes, like using the same address when checking into all of the travel lodges. Idiot. He used different names, but the same address. So it was so easy cops when they actually did their jobs yeah. and checked it out they were like oh okay here's the record <laughs> got him it's crazy he pawned all of the stolen jewelry under his own legal name he kept a meticulous diary with victims details to answer your question about the diary earlier oh yeah i was gonna ask yeah when he was running his con he would write down their names and the details that they were giving to him in that diary mm -hmm. and also the manner in which they were responding to his advances. Okay. And the ones that he saw as more fruitful, possibly in the future, he left those records as is. And the ones that were not responding to him favorably, he cut their names out in red ink. Okay, so... Because he was always... Talking to multiple women at a right. time, he can't remember all these details. So he was writing this all mm -hmm. down. Like, don't bother calling this number. Mm -hmm. She's not She's not falling for it. Okay, so actually his victims weren't crossed out. Right. The victims were the ones that weren't crossed Imagine out. Imagine seeing that book and you see your name, like, crossed out. Like, whoa, dodged a bullet. Mm -hmm, like, That'd few. crazy. Yikes. Yeah. He was pretty dumb. He was a dumb guy. Yeah. And he could have easily been caught, so... He's nothing to be afraid of and be admired in any sense. Like, well, no criminal deserves no, any admiration. but some are tricky. That's scary. Some are tricky. Yeah. This guy was a dummy who had a lot of luck and, well, confidence. Confidence, you know, gets you places sometimes. Yeah. He was good at emotional manipulation. That was his, that was his tool. That was his murder weapon. I mean, apart from the cyanide. Mm-hmm. Like, he doesn't seem like a monster at first glance is because of his choice of weapon. It isn't a violent crime. He doesn't have a huge axe or, you know, anything like that. He chose cyanide, which is highly unusual for men. Yeah. Usually poison is the choice for women who kill. Yeah. Have you, have you heard of other killers who may have chosen poison or cyanide or something like that? Yeah. As their murder weapon? So surprisingly, like... There are plenty of men who have poisoned throughout history. Uh, I can give you a little, like, serial killers who poison, white man edition, uh, just mm -hmm. for comparison's sake. But it goes all the way back to, like, H.H. Holmes, who's famous for his <gasps> murder hotel. Oh, yeah, yeah, um, yeah. He's known as America's first serial killer by some, which I find is funny because you're just kind of ignoring the whole, like, Native American genocide, slavery, civil war. Um, but mm -hmm. he had, like, 200-plus victims. He built this wow, murder okay. palace in 1893 that was full of gas chambers, dungeons, shoots for body disposal. And when he was sort of discovered, he uh, 
was found with a variety of different poisons that he was employing in different ways. Um, Mm -hmm. And his victims ranged from staff, guests, to even lovers. Like, he was a maniac. Oh, God, yeah. Found a couple of an English chap named Graham Young, who is known as the teacup poisoner. And he was kind of interesting. He had 70 plus victims and he started murdering as a child. He was a little demon child. Like the first time. Oh no. So was it, was it like, oh, come to my tea party, please. Yeah, exactly. And then he gives you a cup of poison. Yeah, yeah. So he started as a child. He was arrested for the first time when he was 14 years old and Like, a few years later, he was given a second chance, and they hoped that he grew out of it, but actually, no. He had a lot of fun with the chemistry set, so he created a lot of his own poisons, and he, you know, murdered his stepmother, stepfather, lots of family members, and then lovers and and people. Um, Wow, I've never heard of this guy, Alex. Good job on that. They all suck. They all suck. Cyanide Mohan will enjoy his remaining life in jail, getting free food and board, medical services, and the company of ragtag criminals like himself to mingle with. Many of his poor victims were hardly even given the dignity of a proper cremation. Because they were unidentified? Mm-hmm. Ugh, it's horrible. I wish we had the time to go over each victim's story on air, but we can't. And yeah. I urge all... All of our listeners to read Anil Budur Lalla's article on OpenTheMagazine.com because he has detailed their circumstances around the disappearances of 10 of these women. Okay. It, it, it kind of humanizes them more than just saying victim. Right. It gives you a little bit information around them. I'll talk about Shanta here a little bit. Okay. She was Mohan's 16th victim. Okay. 32-year-old Shanta Kumari worked as an assistant in a college in Mangaluru. On 9th November 2006, she told her family she was going to attend a special function at the college and she walked out wearing an ornate sari, Mm -hmm. gold jewelry, and fresh flowers in her hair. Mm. This was unusual for her because she was a very simple woman and she didn't really dress up that much, Mm -hmm. so they... They were curious. Her family asked her where she was going. And she said, I'm just going to a special function in the college. When she didn't return at night, her family inquired and found out from a night security watchman at the college Mm -hmm. that the function had been a lie. Yeah, there was no function. In fact, Shanta had taken a half day off from work that day. She was never seen alive again. Some days later, her elder brother Raju read a news report of a woman found dead on a road outside the famous Kolur Muka Ambike temple. I quote Raju. The newspaper report said the woman had died after an, an attack of fits, epileptic fits, mm-hmm. like yeah. seizures, and that the police had claimed she was an AIDS victim. What? She was buried in the town cemetery. Where did that even come from? Cops know everything. They can see just by looking at someone that she's an AIDS victim. Yeah. What the f***? It's crazy. So disgusting. Yeah. They just checked a box on the form without even looking at it, it sounds like. You know, like AIDS. Check. Whatever. Doesn't matter. After Raju and his family forcefully had her body exhumed, identified her outfit and wristwatch... They insisted on another proper post-mortem. Raju even asked around Kolur and found an auto rickshaw driver who remembered having dropped Shanta with a middle-aged man at a local travel lodge. Even after Raju found out all of these clues to investigate, Mm -hmm. the police refused to look into the case. Mm, Bad cops. He did everything. He did the groundwork. He did all the work for them and they still wouldn't. He did all the work for them. He laid it out, and they still refused to look at the case. The apathy shown here by law enforcement is appalling. Could they not have shared this information with surrounding cities? Isn't there some protocol regarding this? Yeah, like, whether you're 
societally uh, conditioned to care less about women or not, there's got to be some impact on seeing a human life destroyed that if you're in this line of work would motivate you to do something instead of just like sweep it under the rug. You can't be that desensitized to death, can you? Maybe you can. Yeah. And that's what I'm seeing here. Yeah. I, that's what I'm seeing in a lot of cases, especially the ones that are unsolved, that you do become desensitized and you care less. Not us, I mean, in yeah. law enforcement. Don't they have to explain why they have so many unsolved cases? And that's why I think they add details like AIDS victim and crap in there. Yeah. Because they don't have to explain that yeah. or look into it. Because mm -hmm. then it's natural causes, mm -hmm. in my opinion. It's devious. I know that the families would have been making the rounds of the police stations every day to inquire about their missing loved ones. And I'm sure the cops said that they were looking, but they did nothing. They simply waited till enough time had passed. The families lost hope. They stopped coming in. And so they would just close the file. Director General of Police Ajay Kumar Singh said in a press release that this case was a rude awakening for young ladies falling into the trap of such offenders, especially since the victims had not informed their families about these issues. Well, Mr. Ajay Singh, I hope that this case was a very rude awakening for you to the level of disorganization and lackadaisical response of your police force. Yeah. If you had even tried to catch this guy after the first few murders, you could have saved 18, 19, 20 lives. Yeah, you victim blaming. If not more. The police in India need reforms. They need upgrades to their antiquated systems. They need training for the officers. And most importantly, to hold non-performing staff accountable. Accountable for their incompetence and corruption. But to be fair, like... So many police forces all around the world need that. And we've covered a fair amount of stories where, like, the police have gone the extra mile. They have done at least the, like, base limit of their jobs. So I guess that's just to say we're not saying, like, all the police in India are crap. But, like, when they are crap, there needs to be, you know consequences or system reform or it needs to actually, like, mm -hmm. be addressed. And that's in India and everywhere else in the world. Absolutely. 100%. Like if you listen to our previous episodes, you'll know we don't cop bash where it isn't called for. Yeah. We've seen examples of amazing outcomes exactly. when intelligent and dedicated police officers, they take their job seriously, like um, Surendranath Ghosh from the Kolkata police yeah. or Deepan Badran and Kiran Chaudhary mm -hmm. from the Ahmedabad crime branch. We need more cops like them. We need more cops like them and less cops like yeah. like the ones in today's case who are just waiting every month for a paycheck and not taking their job seriously. Yeah. So let's close out the story today with the names of the victims whose only fault was to fall in love with the wrong man. Rest in peace, Shanta, Vinuta, Sharda, Shashikala, Baby, Anita, Hema, Vijay Lakshmi, Yashoda, Pushpa, Sunanda, Shashikala, Purnima, Kamala, Leelavati, Vanita, Sujata, Kaveri, Arti, and Savitri. We wrap up on Cyanide Mohan. May you rot in jail, you waste of life. Yeah, you stinky little Lorax. Clorax. Florax. Just garbage, garbage lax. I don't know. Trash, Trash lax. lax. <laughs> Jinx. <laughs> Done. Yeah, suck it. <laughs> we do have a quick Bollywood corner today. And since our cases were from South India, I'll start with some South Indian movies on serial killers. A really intense suspense thriller from Karnataka the state that we were talking about today, is Rangi Taranga. It is a movie with a very hazy feel to it, like the timeline jumps between the past and the present seamlessly. 
It leaves you feeling unsettled from start to finish, trying to solve the riddle of who's who and what is actually going on. All right. Yeah, there are murders, there are curses, there are false identities, and a healthy dose of amnesia in the mix to make nice. this one hell of an intriguing story. Cool. So yeah, take a look. The second movie I recommend is one from Tamil Nadu. It's called Ratsasan. Mm-hmm. Ratsasan. Ratsasan. I think it's a play on the word Rakshas, mm-hmm. which means demon in oh, Hindi yeah, yeah. or Sanskrit. Yeah. It's a police procedural with decent forensic and psychological details. It's a very complicated story about a twisted serial killer. It does have some graphic scenes that involves brutal crimes and murders of minors so it was a very hard movie to watch like this is not something you watch to relax or unwind for sure (laughs) just a little disclaimer the third and last movie for today is the only one from Bollywood it's the Hindi movie from 2003 called Samai Samai means time the clock is ticking Mm -hmm. tick 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 So Sushmita Sen leads this movie. It is a rare movie with a female lead. So right away, it wins in my books. Nice. Set to be inspired by Hollywood's Seven. Okay. It has a fast pace, a creepy serial killer with an unknown motive. Mm -hmm. He taunts the cops to find him before the clock runs out of time. Okay. I've rewatched this one several times over the years. And it's, yeah, it's a well-made movie. Okay. So... Take a look. It's called Summer. No poisoners in our list today? No, not really. I don't know if that many, like, good movies with poisoners. And they would probably be about women poisoning because, you know, tropes and stereotypes and stuff. Yeah. Okay. That one sounds super interesting, though. Maybe it doesn't make for good cinema. Because <laughs> they, want, they want all the drama. They want the violence. That's what you sell to the public, so... So yeah, that's that. That was our two-parter on Cyanide Mohan. Cool. If you want any more information about this case um, and about the movies that I mentioned, hop on over to Instagram where I post show notes. Uh, we also have a website called crimesfromtheeast.com. You can head on over to that website. You should say the Instagram handle. Oh, <laughs> yeah, Crimes from the East on Instagram. And you can mail us at crimesfromtheeast at gmail.com. Please like and rate us and review us on iTunes. I I, I saw one review. <laughs> it was so cute. Alex, was that your dad? Maybe, yeah. <laughs> he's, d- he's become a regular listener. <laughs> it's so funny to imagine, like, he and my mom... You know, hanging out, out in the desert, just, you know, watching the birds and putting around and just listening to us talk about sinister crimes <laughs> from India. <laughs> Hi, Dad. <laughs> yeah, parents are always our biggest fans, right? No matter what we do. That is so sweet. <laughs> Thanks, Jean. <laughs> well, come on. If Jean can give us a review, so how about you. some more? How about you? You, you listener. You're listening to us, right? Hop on over to iTunes and give us a little review. You can just write one sentence. Just say, hey, this was this was an okay listen. I'll cast you a good spell if you do. <laughs> Send some of my chaos magic, positive chaos magic your way. Let's not call it chaos magic then. Let's call it um, <laughs> good luck magic. <laughs> cool. Wishing all of our listeners a very happy and non-chaotic week ahead. If you're struggling with COVID, I hope you find some relief. I hope you get better. Yep. And I hope things all around the world get better. We need to beat this stupid virus. If you're able to get a vaccination, do so at the earliest. You know, let's help. Let's help bring our lives back to a normal. It won't be the same. It will be a new normal, but we have to get there. And small steps is how we're going to get there. So take care, everyone. And join us again next week for another dose of true crime. 
with a little masala and spice. Namaste.